When I first learned to preach, still learning, but when I first started learning, one of the things that they kept saying was, as you study the scriptures about the passage you want to preach on, what you're looking for is you're looking for the big idea, the main thing, as I would call it, the thing that want you want to have control your entire sermon. And the reason why you do that is because one of the reasons is so you can keep a focus on what you want to be talking about as you go through the sermon. But the other thing is to hopefully keep your audience attentive to what you're talking about, not going off on a bunch of different rabbit trails. The thing also that the main thing really helps with when you come up with that main thing that you want to talk about is that it really gives you the opportunity and the permission to cut, 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 cut. So, you know, you like for me, one of the hardest things is, you know, as I started to study a passage, all different ideas, different illustrations, different stories, things I want to say. Um, and what's hard, though, is you can want to really hold on to some of those things. As you start developing the sermon, you go, oh, I really want to say that, but it doesn't really fit with the main idea. And you have to sort of throw it out. Um, so what I want to do today, which I don't really do when I preach most of the time, is state the main thing up front. What is the main thing that I want to get across in the sermon today? And so I'm going to just state that right up front. So the main thing <clears throat> is the one thing that keeps our faith growing, going and growing. The main thing of the sermon is the one thing that keeps our faith going and growing. Now, you probably are already possibly thinking, well, what's the one thing? <laughs> Which is exactly why I'm not stating it up front, because I want to keep you all here, okay? So you can find out what is this one thing that keeps our faith going and growing. Now, we are going to be looking at a passage in Philippians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And in writing it, he himself, in writing the letter, thought the same type of thing. He said, "There's, I want to make sure that the people reading this letter at the churches knows the main thing I want to get across. To the church at Philippi. And so Paul um, states himself the very one thing that he wants his entire letter to have a focus on. And he says this in Philippians 1.27. He says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As citizens in heaven, now notice that's, I love how he says that. As citizens of heaven, where do we ultimately live? We are in between the world. Jesus says you live in the world, you're not of the world. So we are also not just citizens of the world, but we're also citizens of heaven when we put our faith in Christ. And Paul says, as citizens of heaven, he wants us to live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that is something, if you think about it, that is something that we could say about Little Church, that Paul could be writing a letter today about Little Church, and he would probably, possibly say the exact same thing, which I want all of you to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul, in writing to the Philippi, 
Also, what he says applies directly to us today. In fact, he even invites those who read it back then and read it today. He says, I'm going to be talking about, he's, he actually, Paul will switch back and forth between we, us, and then he'll say you, and then he'll say I. He does a lot of that. But he says, everything I'm talking about, even my own experiences, he says, I'm telling you those things so you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he, he, had, he says in Philippians 3.17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. So that's Paul's main thing. In fact, all the book of Philippi, you can all look and say, everything he's doing is trying to get across this one idea of how do we live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so in doing so, the Apostle Paul, he himself wants us to know how to do that. That's why he writes it. So the question is, okay, we're supposed to live these lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our, my response to even reading that is, okay, tell me how. Okay, how do we do that? And in doing so, Paul is also going to come up with a main thing, one thing. One thing that we are to do to make sure we are living a life worthy of the gospel. And so we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to let the passages Paul talks about unfold for us. What is that main thing? What is that one thing that is going to keep us going and growing in our faith? And so we're going to begin by taking a look at a passage in chapter 3 of Philippians. And this is chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Not that I have already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Listen to the language he's using there. I talked about I need a second wind. (laughs) If you're running a race, you need a second wind. What Paul's talking about here is he's using the metaphor of a marathon to really characterize our life as Christians, that we are running the race. And I think one of the first things that's really encouraging about what the Apostle Paul says is that we may be fatigued in our faith, we may be feel like, am I really making progress? Am I really running this? How do I know how far I've gone? Um, I'm struggling in my faith, I'm struggling with all the things in the world in my faith. And, and what's neat is that Paul, the Apostle Paul of all people, the one who actually met Jesus face to face, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus and was changed. This Apostle is saying, guess what? I have not arrived yet. I am still running that race. It's encouraging to us. He is still trying and trying to hold on. He's still trying to say, I don't, don't look backwards. Keep going forward. Keep pressing on. He's even encouraging himself as he writes, writes these verses that we need, he needs to keep this race going. So that's one part of the encouraging things that I think the Apostle Paul tells us here is we all are in that race, but what he doesn't say and he's not concerned about is 
trying to figure out where am I in this race? You know, you might have just begun. You might have just accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and said, I want to run the race, Jesus. Or you may have been doing it for 50 years. Or you may be somewhere in between. Paul's not trying to say, where are you at in the race? But what he's trying to do and making sure that we do is that we are in the race and that we stay in the race. This, as tired as we can get sometimes in our faith, we keep at it. Now, one of the things that I really like that sort of caught me as I was reading this passage here in verse 12 is listen to this, this metaphor that really the Apostle Paul talks about. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. And then he says, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And then he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Another encouraging thing he tells us about this race is that we're not in it by ourselves. We are in it not only with other Christians, but we have someone else that's in the race. He tells us right here, it is Christ Jesus that's in the race with us. And I love the illustration, how he says, he says, I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I love that. It's just beautiful. It's like the sense of not just I'm trying to like keep going for the prize, but already Jesus himself has taken hold of me. Just think that's beautiful. And I was trying to think about an illustration for that, a way of like this taking hold of. And I happened to be walking into our kitchen last night. And I looked as, as, I, as we walk into our kitchen, our kitchen's right next to the front door. And as I walk into our kitchen, I just look up at the front door and I see this. And this cross has followed Michelle and I as um, in our marriage. And wherever we move to, this is always above the door. <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked her, <laughs> where did this come from? And I thought last night, let's do that. Why don't I ask her, you know, tell me the story about this cross. And so she told me about how her mother... What lived and was born in, was in, born in Canada and lived in Canada. And when her mother got married to Michelle's dad, he was in the military. And so the first thing she had to do was move out of Canada and move into the States. And so Michelle's grandmother, Michelle's mom's mom, gave her this cross instead of you know what in all the travels from now where you're going what i think what i want what's important to me is i want you to take this cross and i want you to take hold of it and i want you to take it wherever you go well for michelle and her family that was a lot of places because her father was in the military they traveled 16 different places they lived within a few years because he was in the military and what Michelle's mom did was, she says, we're never going to pack this cross. Instead, I'm going to assign to one of the children, each time we move, I'm going to assign them to take hold of the cross. I'm going to give you the cross. Take hold of it and protect it. And don't pack it and take it with you when we move from one place to another. And then she just told me this <laughs> in between services here. She said, and... Whoever has the cross that's taken hold of it 
When you get to the new place we're going to live, you get to choose where you want to put that cross. And I thought, what a beautiful illustration of like what Paul's saying here. It's it's that the cross almost really took hold <laughs> of the family first, took hold of her grandmother, took hold of her mother, and then they would take hold of it and follow it wherever they went. And that's really what I think Paul's trying to get across here is in this race that we're running, that we're continuing trying to take hold of this goal. But as we do, we have to be reminded we're not alone. Christ Jesus has already taken hold of us. Now, notice what Paul says next. He says, but one thing, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul's now literally talking about, the, I mean, figuratively talking about the metaphor that the Christian life is like this race. But the way he introduces this race is he says, but one thing. Now, when you hear that, but one thing, does that remind you of anywhere else you've heard that phrase in scripture? But one thing. But one thing. Anybody? But one thing. Jesus said it. New Testament. That's all right. The first service didn't get it either. So, okay. But you probably will once I tell you where it is. Mary and Martha. The story of Mary and Martha with Jesus. I want you to listen to this story. This is in Luke 10, 38. So it starts out by saying, while, while they were traveling, they being Jesus and the disciples, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet, Jesus' feet, and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand, Jesus. Jesus answers her and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But one thing, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will be not, it will not be taken away from her. What was that one thing? That one thing is what's the most important thing at that point in time was Jesus had come into their house and Jesus started talking and telling who he was and talking about himself and Mary came down and just sat at his feet. And just looked up to him. And can you just imagine? Can you imagine being there and just listening to Jesus? Just hearing Jesus. I mean, that would be, I mean, it's like, wow, how could you do anything else, Martha? Well, guess what? We all do all the time, don't we? (laughs) We always find something else to do instead of that one thing. And Paul's saying, this Christian life is about one thing. Is about a race that we're running 
And it's about a race that we're going to get to the goal of that running and we're going to get the prize given to us by God. But that would make me think when I read that, okay, how do I run the race? (laughs) I mean, really practically, how do we run this race so we can obtain that prize? And what is the prize? (laughs) What's the prize? What's the goal of this race? If I'm going to be running this race in my Christian faith, and I'm going to keep going and growing, how do I do that? What does that, what keeps me going? And what is that thing I'm finally going to see at the end of it? And that's what we're going to look at today. Because the Apostle Paul doesn't state that here, does he? But you know what? It's because he has already told us what that one thing is. He has already told us how we run the race. He has already told us what the prize is. And we're going to look at that today. So we're going to go back a few verses to where Paul does this. And so in Philippians, so in that chapter, just a few verses before, starting in verse 7, this is what the Apostle Paul says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So Paul's now telling us, as you're going to run this race, he's saying what? He starts out by saying everything he had been doing in his life up to meeting the time he met Jesus, everything he had been doing was to gain things in life. He wanted to gain worldly status. He wanted to be uh, the Pharisee above, above Pharisees. He wanted to have a When you look at him from the outside, he wanted to have a successful life. He wanted others to see that, that he had a successful life. In fact, this is Paul tells us what the, his resume is of his life so far. He tells us in verses 4 to 6, this is Paul's life. He sort of characterizes all in just a couple verses of what he has gained through his life before meeting Jesus. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteous that is in the law, blameless. So Paul, when you look at his resume, if you're going to LinkedIn okay, for the Apostle Paul, People would say, I want that guy working for me, all right? I mean, he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is a Pharisee. I mean, he has devoted his life to being a Jew and being a Jew that teaches other people. I mean, he is someone you'd want to be under and want to be listening to. But when Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, personally meets the risen Lord, his life changes like that. All of a sudden, his life completely turned around. And the things that he once valued, 
he now says, those things I don't value anymore. Not only do I not value them anymore, but that I completely consider them a complete loss. Those are not things that I need to have and be holding unto in my life anymore. He says, I've let all that go. In fact, I, all those things I just read, he says, where before those were the things I was going for, he says, now they're dung. Now, there's a lot of different ways people translate the word dung in Greek. One of the main ways is trash. It's just trash. All the things I've done so far in life, I've just thrown away. Because all these things he had done in his life before were all focused on things of the world, worldly achievements, religious performance. He He had a social status that he was born into, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says, don't need that anymore. Why? Because he's going to be running a race and he wants to get to the finish line. I want you to think about your lives right now. What are the things in your life that you have been working all your life to attain and all these things you can put on your resume? Paul's not saying those don't count or anything more. He's saying, I consider those of no value now because of something of even higher value. Why? Because those things of the world, those things of even religious Performance. Oh, you know, I know my Bible and Paul may have, may have had the entire Old Testament, believe it or not, memorized. Wow, look at me. Look what I can do. All those, he says, those are gains that are only going to slow me down in the race. So think of like for your life. Think of like if you have, you're running the race and you start saying, well, I have all these things that are important to me. My, and it, again, It's not that you don't have them. It's that what you consider them in relationship to Christ. Are they stopping you and preventing you from running that race? So maybe I have worldly achievements. Oh, I got to be careful with my back here and do this right. Okay. Maybe I have worldly achievements. All right. Maybe I have all these things. I've been in the church for a long time and I'm a really good volunteer. And look at all these things that I do. But as I start holding on to these things, what are they going to do to the race that Jesus wants me to be on with him? They're going to weigh me down. Okay, I'm going to be like, I haven't gone very far yet. (laughs) You know? And I have all these weights that are just holding me down from the world. Or maybe even, here we go. All right. Maybe even I have so much I've done my life for that Ah, I've got to use both hands and I've got to hold on to this because this is a value to me. But guess what? When I hold on to it like this, what can I not take hold of? I can't take, I'll put it down. I can't grab on and take hold of Jesus because all these other things are interfering with the one thing that's going to keep me on that race. Now I'm out of breath. Okay. See how much good shape I am. I think 35 pounds, 15 pounds, about 8 pounds. Okay. Um, doesn't look like much, but uh, they weigh a lot. And you see, I'm already tired just in doing that. That's what happens a lot of times when we put our focus on everything in the world is what's taking all my energy. And then I go, but I'm supposed to be on this race with Jesus. And I have all these things I'm supposed to be taking with me and trying to lug along. Paul says, guess what? In Jesus, consider it all loss. 
And why do we consider all loss? Because in Jesus, with Jesus, with this race he puts us on, there is something far more valuable than all the stuff that I want to carry along to hold me down and distract me and wear me out. There is one thing that the Apostle Paul says that's going to keep us going and growing in that race. One thing. And Paul has already told us what that one thing is. If you take a look at verse um, at verse 8, he says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of something that is way more valuable, he says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is of no value ultimately in life. But the one thing that is of value that's going to keep me running that race. How do I run the race? I run the race by putting surpassing value on knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, notice Paul. And Paul never actually uses this phrase anywhere else in all of his writings. Christ Jesus my Lord. He is trying to get across that this relationship we have with the living God is a relationship. It is what is a value. It is knowing Jesus that is the ultimate value in life that keeps us running that race. It is knowing him. But one thing I have found for, I've been teaching scripture for roughly about 30 years now, one of the things that I continue to find for myself and for those who, us as Christians, in knowing Jesus, one of the hard things is that we have been raised in the Greek culture. Our culture is based on the Greek, the Greek culture. And for the, in the Greek culture, like in the New Testament, in the Greek culture, the word know or knowledge was the most important thing. How much do I know versus you, Chris? Or how much do I know versus Eddie? Or how much do I know versus Crystal? I mean, it's all about how much knowledge do we have? How many degrees do I have? How many things do I know in my head? And then we get enter the Christian faith, and we start doing the same things. We start thinking that it's all about how much do I know about the Bible? How much do I know about religion? How much do I know in my head about Jesus? The problem is the word know, whenever you read that in the Old and New Testament, it almost always refers to one thing that is different than head knowledge. The word know refers to a relationship that you have with someone. It is knowing another person personally. It is having a communication with them. It is growing in your relationship with them. In fact, the word know, when it first appears in the Old Testament back in Genesis, and actually it's, it's, the word is actually means sexual intercourse. It's one person knowing another and they're married and that, and that's what actually the term know originally started with was this idea of that's how close of a relationship we have with someone else. And so the word know here, if there's anything to get with what Paul's saying, it is that we're not talking about a bunch of knowledge about Scripture or a bunch of knowledge about anything. We're talking about a dynamic, personal relationship that you have with the living God. 
This is what Jesus offers us. This is what he offers us today. This is how we keep the going win the race is by continually to focus on knowing him relationally more and more. Um, there's this one quote from a guy named Gordon Fee that I think sort of captures this really well for us. Um, Gordon Fee was, he passed away last year, just an amazing man of God. I got to sit under a lot of his teachings. He was a New Testament professor up at Regent in Canada, in Vancouver. And he was one of these teachers that he would be teaching and he would just break out in worship. He would just break out in, in talking about how much he loves Jesus. And so you could see in him a model for the very thing he's saying here, which is it wasn't all about me teaching you guys a bunch of stuff about the Bible or theology. It was about that you walk out of here loving Jesus even more. And so this is how he summarizes this idea of this value of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. He says, it is not simply because of Christ that he considers all things as loss, but because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ does not mean to have head knowledge about him, but to know him personally and relationally. Paul has taken up the Old Testament theme of knowing God and applied it to Christ. It means to know him as children and a parent know each other, or as wives and husbands know each other. Knowledge, it has to do with a personal experience and an intimate relationship. It is such knowledge that makes Christ trustworthy. This, for all of us, is the Christian life. This is the one thing that keeps us going and growing. It is not just Jesus. It is knowing him more and more. Think back to that Mary and Martha story. All right. Notice how um, Gordon starts out. He says, not simply because of Christ. Jesus came into the house with Mary and Martha. We could just say, well, hey, Jesus is with us. But what was of value was one thing. It was what Mary was doing, sitting down at the feet of Jesus and having a personal relationship, listening to Jesus tell and talk to her and love her. And she's just, you know, you can just imagine she's enraptured by him and learning everything she can, but not for head knowledge. It's to actually really be with Jesus, to really know more about him, to really love him, to feel that love from him. It is a personal relationship. So you can see this so far as we've been talking in this race. How do we run the race? Paul told us. He said running the race is all about the surpassing value of knowing Jesus more and more and more. But what about the goal? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, we're on this race. We're going to get a go to a goal. We're going to get a prize. What is this we're going to get? That's what Paul says in the next verse. Because listen to what Paul says. He says in verses 10 through 11, My goal, my goal, the goal of the race, the goal of the end, is to know him, know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The goal is knowing Jesus. The way you run the race is knowing Jesus. The means, as we would say, and the end are the same. 
the means of how we run the race, how do we keep going, is putting my focus on knowing Jesus personally. What's the prize at the end? The prize is that I know him personally and relationally and more fully in the end than I ever have. In the very end, it is still knowing Jesus. This is the Christian life. This is the one thing. And here Paul says, when you want to know more about Jesus, you're wanting to know more about everything he's done for us. That is really the reason why we read scripture. It is so we personally know what is, if you look at scripture, it's all about leading up to Jesus as to why he died on the cross and the sacrifice he gave for that. And Paul says, I want you to know everything about what Jesus has done. And then Jesus dies and he rises from the dead, defeating evil, defeating death, defeating sin. And he says, in that resurrection, that power of that resurrection, you want to know everything that Jesus has done for you. This is ultimately what we will have at the final goal. But we don't have to wait until that goal comes. We don't have to wait until we die. We get that relationship right now with Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is give us that relationship. As we read the word, we hear Jesus speaking to us, and we say, I'm knowing him relationally more and more. As an example, last night, I will tell you, I actually love my wife more. (laughs) After Hillary heard telling me the story about this cross, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that before. I didn't know about the value of this. I look at that cross every time I leave, And I go, I had no idea what that meant to you and how much it's been part of your life. And now I do. And it causes me to love her a little bit more. That's really what we're talking about here in this relationship. So as I close, I want to give us just a practical application for that. Because Jesus, this everything Paul's saying here is he says, as we're running this race with Jesus and giving that surpassing value to Christ... We are influencing all those that are around us. And he says, and what he does is in Philippians, before, right before Paul tells us about how Jesus humbled himself and died on the cross for us and was risen, right before Paul says that, he says, here is how, because of what Jesus did for you, because of you knowing him, that should change how you talk and how you relate to one another. That should change our relationships with every single person that we meet. This is how the Apostle Paul says it. This is in Philippians 2. He says, Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Do you hear that? But in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That word consider is actually in the Greek, the same word Paul uses for surpassing value in the passage we just looked at. So what Paul is really saying here is he's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, conceit, but in humility consider others of surpassing value above yourself. Consider every person you talk to Consider your spouse, your best friend, the person you meet on the street, the person you're going to talk to on the phone. 
Because of knowing Jesus, that should change how we relate to every person we communicate with over social media. However it is, to where we are placing that person in a surpassing value above ourselves. So, in summary, I'm going to restate my main thing I started with. Because the main thing I started with was that there is one thing that keeps our faith going and growing. Now we know what that one thing is. What keeps our faith going and growing? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, keeps our faith going and growing. Amen.